it's intentionally murky, it's intentionally mind-numbing, and it's not easy to talk about them. Today on our podcast, we discuss the Panama Papers. As we sit down with political science professors Jeffrey Winters and Jordan Gansmores, we'll do our best to make our discussion a little less murky, a little less mind-numbing, and a little easier to talk about. On April 3rd, reports from 2.6 terabytes of leaked documents from the Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca began to surface. The documents illustrated how the world's wealthy, famous, and powerful have kept their financial information private. The reports have already landed several public officials in hot water, and has led lawmakers to scrutinize how money is moving in and out of their countries. I'm Jeremy Margolis. And I'm Maddie Fox. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Jordan Gansmore, I'm an assistant professor of political science. I'm a professor of political science or politics or political economy, whatever category you want to use. Um, Oh, and I was Jeffrey Winters. (laughs) We start our discussion with Winters describing how firms like Mossack Fonseca succeed in secretly holding money for their clients. So what happens is this. I set up an offshore company through a secrecy location. I put assets into that company. That company then deposits its money, say, in a Bahamas bank, and that Bahama bank has an account in New York called... Bank of Bahama. Now, all the assets are sitting in New York, but I, in Chicago, have no apparent connection to the money that is on deposit in the Bank of Bahama in Chase Bank in New York. But the digital path through which I make any transaction goes through these secrecy and offshore locations and ultimately gets debited out of that account in New York. So the United what I'm getting at is the United States, New York, Tokyo, London, are full participants, eyes wide open, in this entire network. So that is now, today, a multi-billion dollar industry. And the latest estimates are that the financial dark matter of the world um, is somewhere between 10 and $30 trillion dollars. It seems like there's three three main reasons why someone would want to uh, put their money in a shelf company. One of them is to avoid taxation. One of them is to hide their money. And the third is if they um, are worried about what's going to happen to their money. Um, do you feel one of those reasons is the overarching reason? Or do you feel people around the world uh, have all three of those reasons and sometimes more than one of them uh, within themselves? Want to crack at that start? I'll I'll take a shot at it. So I would say one of the... There's no single pattern. So it depends on um, the people involved. It depends on the country they're in, how strong the rule of law system is. If you're in a place where property guarantees are relatively weak, then moving your money abroad is going to be one of your major wealth defense and property defense kinds of strategies. This is the case in Russia, I think. It's the case in China, um, where China now has, by some estimates, more billionaires than the United States has. Um, As of this year, they've just passed. And the, the question is, how do you safeguard your property in China? How do you safeguard it in a lot of places where 
the rule of law and turning to courts is not necessarily something you can you can rely on. So some people are engaging in it for that reason. Um, in other places, taxation really is a significant um, issue. Uh, and then for yet other places, um, the amount of money that is stolen or is connected to illegal practices, money laundering, um, narcotic uh, trades, and so on, there's an enormous amount of money, and there are big economies out there, where just having assets on the books and being legible, visible, is a big problem. A corporation can engage in transactions. It can borrow, it can buy and sell shares, um, it can have an account at Schwab or some other uh, place where E-Trade, where you're doing trading, and I can do insider trading on a firm. I can't do it as Jeffrey Winters, who owns Intel, but if I have an offshore company that is not connected to me by name, um, no one can possibly trace it to me, I can engage in all kinds of transactions. We have these political leaders in Iceland, in England, in Russia, um, who have who uh, have been working with Mossack Fonseca, and then we have more private people like, say, Leo Messi. Um, should they be held to the same standard or, or not? Uh, do you owe certain things like like paying taxes on your wealth, that would seem to me to be universal. So in, in these types of senses, I think somebody like Messi should be doing what everybody else is doing, which is paying his fair share of taxes. Um, but if it's a question really of transparency, uh, I think there should be a higher burden or a higher obligation for somebody who's in public office in any country. In our own country, whether you're a politician or a celebrity like Leo Messi, you don't have to go abroad to hide your money. Wyoming, Nevada, and Delaware all allow people to create corporations that don't have a link to their name. One of the biggest offshore places in the world is the United States. Okay, People come from all over the world to incorporate in these three states, and if you do, you have a name of a corporation, you know, uh... Champion Enterprises, and you cannot find out who the beneficial owner is of Champion Enterprises. And there are very few Americans, by the way, in Mossack Fonseca, and one of the reasons is, why go there when you can go to Delaware? Were either of you surprised at the number, the sheer number of names connected to the Panama Papers, or was this something you thought was probably going on in one way or another before this all came out um, at the beginning of April? And that's with the knowledge that we've only seen the very tip of the iceberg at this point. Right. So, um, first of all, people may be a little surprised to find out that Mossack Fonseca is not one of the biggest players in this industry. So, this is a relatively medium-sized operator, um, and there are much bigger uh, companies out there that provide this service. We, For Mossack Fonseca itself, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. And Mossack Fonseca is the tip of the iceberg of a much, much bigger industry. This raises a question, I think, I don't want to be the one giving questions, but, but I think it's one that perhaps uh, you guys wanted to pose as well, and one that I think a lot of people are curious about is, is there going to be any serious result or impact from these Panama Absolutely. Papers? And I'd actually be really curious to hear, what Jeffrey, what, what you think about this. Um, for what it's worth, my impression is, overall, 
there'll be some like this, like this stimulates somebody like Obama, kind of shames him into doing something, but is relatively superficial perhaps. Uh, we've seen, of course, that is a impact. It has a, had an impact on certain pretty high high level figures in places like Iceland, uh, places like Russia. I think it will have zero impact. Um, aside from it being a non democracy, the media is so controlled that it's very easy to spin this as as a, a U.S. plot. Um, and so, I, I would imagine absolutely nothing will change. Uh, will change there. Um, but I'm curious. Do you think there'll be something that comes out of this? Uh. I think something already is happening, um, and I think even something like the Sanders campaign represents a kind of backlash against concentrated wealth, what concentrated wealth is doing to the political system, at least in the United States. Do I, though, in the long, ra- in the long term, think that we are on the cusp of getting, um, getting a handle on the wealth defense industry and doing something about it? I don't think so. And a couple reasons why. One, don't, an, don't underestimate the whack-a-mole nature of this game, which is you go after one thing, the weasel pops up somewhere else. And it is very hard to structure the entire global system in a way that makes whack-a-mole not possible. An absolutely earth-shattering change that could be made, which is so simple and yet so hard, is this, um, the beneficial ownership of any firm on the planet should be known. Simply saying you can't hide behind a corporate paper entity. Simple as that. No, I, I agree. I mean, on a personal level, I'm, I'm fully in agreement. Um, <laughs> I, I think that as simple as the basic idea is, I, I, would, I would just probably strongly state... If, if this happens, it might be 200 years from now. I mean, this would be, to me, on par with the, with talking about whether there'd be democracies in the year 1600 and the idea that we'd start having, you know, Eng- the U.S. and then England and then several hundred years later, 200 years later, lots of countries in the world be run by people would be just mind-boggling. And I think we're kind of at, I think we're that far away. But I, I mean, I think there's just, there's many people, including many powerful people, who feel that secrecy is part of their rights. As Winters and Gansmores discussed, the Panama Papers have brought to the forefront a long-standing debate about transparency versus privacy. Should citizens have the right to hide ownership of their assets, or should this information be public? As only a fraction of the information from the leak has been released, we don't expect the debate to go away anytime soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Office Hours. See you next time.